Would you open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 19? Proverbs chapter 19, we're going to read a single verse. And as you know, we've been in a series of Proverbs all through the summer, a series called This is How We Family. And we have covered, oh, a a variety of topics. This is how we talk. This is how we share. This is how we worship. This is how we uh, argue. This is how we uh, communicate. Well, just all types of wisdom gleaned from this wonderful book found in the Old Testament. And today is no different. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 19, but we're going to read a single verse. And this single verse really, in my opinion, is in there because it serves not so much as to edify as it does to warn. This is a proverb that's in there not to to comfort, but to serve as one of those orange cones in the middle of the street that lets you know the bridge is out. This is a, a warning that we are to heed and to learn from and avoid, if at all possible, in our Christian walk. And so listen to what the words of the, of the Scripture say. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. Let me read that one more time. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. About 30 years ago, actually 30 years ago this month, uh, my wife and I packed up our family and moved to to the mission field, and our first stop was Costa Rica, where we were supposed to be learning Spanish. And one of those days down there on my birthday, my wife gave me a gift, and it was to go whitewater rafting. Have any of y'all ever been whitewater rafting? It's a lot of fun. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, and so I went, and so here's this guy, and he's got a rubber boat, and he puts six of us in it, and none of us have a clue what's going on, and he just says, okay, here's your helmet. I knew it was going to be bad if you need a helmet to get in the water. Things are not great. We put on a helmet. We put on a life vest. He gives us each an oar. We sit on the side of the boat, and he said, I'll be in the back. I've done this a million times. I know just where we're supposed to go. All you have to do is listen to me and do what I say, and it's going to be a great time. Perfect. What could go wrong, Ruffin? So we cast off, and we're out in the river, and we're going through this nice, beautiful, peaceful part. I mean, it's Costa Rica. There's jungle. Literally, we saw toucans. It was like the Fruit Loop commercial, Alive, right there in the trees. And I'm thinking, this couldn't be more beautiful. And then I notice the water starts getting a little faster. And the canyon starts getting a little narrower. And pretty soon that calm water is sounding like a tornado's coming our way. And there are waves, and it's white, and it's crashing. And, and, and suddenly, your peaceful heart is gripped with fear as we're fixing to go right down the middle of all this dangerous rapid water and the guide at that minute suddenly decides he needs to shift positions in the boat to better be able to steer us but as he for just a moment takes his eye off the river and looks down we hit a submerged boulder that just made that rubber boat boat 
sort of like a catapult, and he goes flying out of the boat and lands in the water, and suddenly now we're six landlubbers who know nothing about rafting in a boat, crashing into rapids, and the only person who knows how to do it is 40 yards behind us in the water yelling, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left. It was meant to be a great day. We knew exactly how it was going to go. Pay your money, get your oar, have a great day, eat lunch, go home. And one moment of taking your eye off the ball, one mistimed decision, one choice that wasn't the wisest at the moment, And your plans are ruined. Folly, foolishness of man, ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. Now you're here today, I'm assuming, with us whether you're online or you're here in us. You're here today because you have something you want out of life. You have something that you believe to be a better life. It's a life of servitude. It's a life of what we call Christianity. It's a life of following a Savior, the Son of God. It's a life of obedience to God's Word. And I've got good news for you. God wants that for your life also. He wants you to know His Son. He wants you to know forgiveness. He wants you, as Jesus said, to walk and live in abundant life. He wants that to be your pathway. The bad news is that there is also what the Bible calls your enemy and the enemy of God and the enemy of good. And his goal is to, is to try to get you to take foolish steps, to follow foolish measures, to listen to foolish advice, and to see if he can get those wheels derailed off of this wonderful, abundant life that God has in store for you. And so here in the middle of this wisdom literature, God gives us this gem, this this beacon, this, this lighthouse on a rocky shore so that we avoid that trap, so that we are able to not choose the foolish path, so we don't fall into this cycle of Proverbs 19.3. And it is a cycle. Listen to it. It's what we call a progressive psalm, an action that brings on an action, that builds on an action, that builds on an action. So let's, let's walk through this again and see this cycle that many of us have done and some of you may still be stuck in. A man commits folly, sin, disobedience, a stupid act, a mistimed word, a a poor choice, a wrong friend. And that sin, that stupidity, that moment makes the wheels fall off of life. And suddenly there are consequences and problems that, that you never imagined when you first stepped out on that trip. 
So your sin, your folly, then brings unexpected and oftentimes horrific consequences. And that loss, that pain, that suffering that ensues from my foolish choice then fills my heart with anger. Because that's what we do when we're hurt. That's what we do when the sky falls in. That's what we do when the trap snaps shut. We get angry. And when we're angry, when the heart fills with rage, when the heart has that driven emotion of bitterness in it and guile, you know what comes next? The finger. The finger begins to point. The blame gets laid because I hurt and somebody did this to me. And ultimately, that finger's going to point at God. The foolishness of man runs his way and his heart rages against the Lord. How do we keep that from happening? Because that act alone, that progression, that repeated cycle, as Doug said last week, of of wash, rinse, and repeat will go on and on and on in your life until it's addressed and until it's broken and something is put in its place. What are we to do? How do we keep that from happening to us? And rather than a blessing to our children and their children and their children, we see a cycle of sin and anger and pain and a wedge driven between my, my life and God, my children's life and God, my grandchildren's life God. How do we avoid that? Well, I'm going to give us what I think are three lessons we're to take home from this, okay? The first one is this. We can pick our folly, but we do not get to pick the consequences of the folly. Do you understand what I mean? Sin and temptation knock at the door. And we pick which ones we open the door to. We get to choose that the that act of iniquity. We get to rebel in the ways that we want, and it's always a choice. Okay? It's always a choice. Nobody forces you to sin. You cannot be obligated to disobey God. You choose every time. It's your choice so that no one else is to blame. You choose it. But what happens as a result, that's out of your control. You don't get to pick that. Let me give you an example. David. The Bible tells us that it was the time of year when kings go to war. But for some reason, David, who was a mighty warrior, a valiant warrior, who had been in lots of wars, David decided, this time, I'll stay home and send Joab and the army out. This time, I know what my duty is. I know what I'm supposed to do. This is the plan. This is the path of kings, but I'm going to choose something different. Innocent enough, a little vacation. I'm tired. I need a break. So he goes to the roof. He gets some fresh air. He looks over the side. He sees Bathsheba. He sends for her. And the result is... His friend he has murdered, 
Bathsheba winds up pregnant and the child dies. I need a break. I need a vacation. I think I'll just not do what I'm supposed to do this once and never imagine the snowball of consequences that that foolishness can cause. Pharaoh needs to build a country. He's got pyramids to erect. He's got an empire to grow. And he needs labor. Well, there are hundreds of thousands of Hebrews around. Let's just enslave them. Let's just make them do it. Seems like a good idea, and everything seems to be working famously until suddenly Moses shows up with the command, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, I don't think so. I don't think so. You're just a nobody. I'm the Pharaoh. I need this. I'm not letting him go. And he had no idea that down the road his nation would suffer plague after plague after plague and ultimately his own and every firstborn of Egypt would die. What seemed like a simple, logical choice had horrible ramifications. Lot. Lot stands with his uncle Abram And they look out over the Jordan Valley and Abram says, Lot, our flocks are too many. They can't be together. Choose which side you want. And so Lot greedily sees the green valley of the Jezreel area and he says, I'll I'll take this. And Abram says, fine. Knowing that in the middle of that, in the capital of all of that, are the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, cities that are known for their, for their, for their, their iniquity, their sin, their sensuality. They are known to be places, dens of, of, of vileness and evil. And yet, not only does he choose that land, but he chooses to live in that city. And that choice later is going to cost him the life of his wife and his fortune and his daughter's safety, all because of what seemed like a logical and wise financial decision. We can pick our folly, but we can't pick our consequences. And here's here's what's interesting. Listen to some of these other texts. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is, is death. Isaiah the prophet said to to the Israel, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you and he hears you not. Silly, simple, shouldn't be a problem sins in our heart and suddenly God doesn't hear my prayers. Can a man carry fire in his bosom and not be burned? Well, we know the answer to that. Absolutely not. Here's what, here's what foolishness will do. Here's what foolishness costs you. Look at the text. The first thing it'll do is it will destroy all the wonderful plans, the hopes and the dreams that you had for your life, your marriage, your children. 
A little sin, you let it creep in. A poor choice, a bad decision, something that honored you more than honors God. And all of a sudden, this wonderful this wonderful desire to have blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon my life and my children's life falls apart. Why? Because I open the door and let sin come in. Foolishness brings us to ruin. And then that sin steals the joy that God intends my home to to have, to enjoy. Because instead now of having a house of laughter and joy and obedience, because that's what comes when we serve God the right way, now I've got a home filled with anger and bitterness and accusation and hopelessness. I really hope that this doesn't sound familiar. But if it does, if it does... God doesn't just leave us hanging here. Now, here's another effect of that foolish behavior, and I think one of the worst. It smears your family's good name. Now, think about that. We don't know of whom, who Solomon was had in mind when he wrote these words. But all we know is, in this and a dozen other Proverbs and texts, he's simply known as the fool. The fool. And while the world may look at you and say, ooh, that was shrewd. Ooh, that was wise. Look at the way he undercut that guy. Look at the way he forced out his competitor. Look at the way, uh, look, at that, look at that grade point average she has, even though we know she cheated to get it. Look at that, and the world may say, well, that's well done, that's smart. The Bible says that that type of behavior rots the joy within us and ruins your name. And you may think you're famous and well-known, but you may not be as well-known for the reasons you want to be. Instead, people say, what a fool. What a fool. What a poor choice. And your name and your children's name and your children's children's name is is ruined. And your home becomes a den not of laughter but a den of bitterness as your heart fills with rage. So what do we do? What do we do? The first thing we do and this is the most important at this point is grasp the horrificness of sin. I want you to understand there is no such thing as a little sin. All sin is an offense to a holy God. All sin carries a penalty. All sin separates from the, from, from the glory of our Father. And all sin carries the same wage, and it is spiritual death. You do not get to say it's a little sin. It should have a little consequence. Every sin has a huge consequence. And the the tighter we grasp onto that truth, the less likely we are to follow the pathway of folly when the pathway of righteousness is right before us. Now, secondly, and I'm going to go a little quicker, I promise. Secondly, the heart. Now, see, remember the progression. A man's folly ruins his way and his heart 
rages. So here's the second rule to to grasp. Your heart is an excellent muse, a wonderful inspiration, but a terrible master. Your heart, your emotions were never meant to rule your life. Our hearts sing, Scripture says. They sing, they rejoice, they are glad, but our hearts also are troubled and filled with every kind of evil. In fact, listen to some of these texts here. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can possibly understand it? Jesus even said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, and they defile the man. What was the source? The heart. And then what may have been one of the saddest verses in Scripture. After God's glorious work of creation, when He set a perfect world in perfect order and made a perfect man and gave him a perfect wife and made a perfect family and He gave them a single rule that they wouldn't keep, that they couldn't possibly have seen the consequences of. And yet a few generations down, we hear these words. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the, and thought of his heart was only evil continually. The heart cannot be trusted. Emotions are wonderful gauges. They are wonderful to to help us know how our walk with the Lord is going. Our hearts fill with joy and our hearts fill with gladness. And the Spirit of God can fill our hearts. And that wonderful sense of of mountaintop experience is a great, a great gauge and a gift from our God. But that very same heart to when tomorrow turns stormy and the clouds come and something we didn't expect and that, 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 that uh, uh, doctor's report comes back and it wasn't what you hoped and, and your, your, that illness in your child is not healed and that job goes to somebody else and suddenly that same rejoicing heart is now angry and bitter and it can't be trusted and so we don't let our emotions rule us we rule our emotions and how do you do that it's very simple you see here's what will have what's can happen what can happen is we get hurt and we carry within us a pain a loss, what we feel is unjust. And suddenly that pain morphs into a looking glass through which we see the world. And we quit seeing the world as God made it and we start seeing the world as we perceive it through our pain. And suddenly it's dark and it's, and, and it's terrible and everybody is against us and we just might want, want to give up. 
and the sin proliferates. Or we do what Scripture tells us. And when the pain comes and when the storm arises and when the the waters and the waves lash against the boat and when fear and hurt and bitterness fill our heart, rather than letting that become our lens, we turn it around and now we let God and God's Word become our lens. And our worldview is now we see our pain through God's perspective rather than seeing God through the perspective of pain. And suddenly, there's peace. Suddenly, it changes. Suddenly, the anger and the rage are gone as we let God and His Spirit guide our thoughts and guide our emotions and fill our hearts. So what do we do? It's very simple. Probably the very first verse you ever learned in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. And it's still a good verse for us as parents and grandparents. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Say it with me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, we take those emotions captive and then fill our heart with God's Word. You can pick your folly, but not the consequence. You can let your heart rule, or you can let your heart be ruled by God's Word. But the last one, and I'm closing with this, is this. When when the pain comes, and it will come, when the hurt overwhelms, And it will overwhelm. When the loss seems too great, you will react, whether you think it's justified or not justified. You're going to take one of two postures before God. You will either face your pain as a reflective disciple, a student of God's, Or you will throw up a wall of defense and raise your fist in defiance and take the posture of an angry victim. One brings healing. One starts another cycle of foolishness, loss, anger with God. One heals and one drives a wedge between the one who loves you most and your heart and your family and those generations and generations and your children and their children and their children that you so hoped would live in blessing now live with a bad name, a joyless home, and a cycle of repeated sin, all because we choose to play the victim. We are afflicted in every way, Paul wrote, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? 
because we are always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. God is for you, Southern Hills. God is for your family. God wants to bless. There's a reason he gave that blessing to Aaron, and there's a reason he wanted it repeated at every meeting and from generation to generation for a thousand generations. He wants you to know that his face wants to shine upon you that He wants to fill our homes and our families and our lives with forgiving grace. He desires your generations and those that follow to walk in paths of life, an abundant life. But we get to choose. We choose our folly. We choose if our heart rules or if, our, if the Spirit of God rules. And we choose to heed His call and learn from His grace or to cower in a corner and play the victim card. We choose. And today you get to choose. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to do our invitation just a little bit differently. If you're, maybe you're here or you're at home and you may have to say, I love my church. I read my Bible. I pray. I, I really do think I'm, maybe even say, I think I'm saved. But there's this root, this bitterness this anger that I can't get over with God. I want you to take care of that today. I want you today to get on your knees, to get before God, and to give that to Him. Confess it. Here's the other verse you learned in Bible school that I want you to stand on today. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. It doesn't depend on my faithfulness. It doesn't depend on my worthiness. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of all our sins and to to clothe us with righteousness. Is that not good news? That's a promise of God. But you give that to Him and let Him bring healing. Maybe you've never ever trusted God as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have been carrying an awful lot of hurt, an awful lot of pain for a very long time. You can get rid of it today. I promise you, you can get rid of it today. 
God is able and God is willing to take that hurt and take that guilt and take that anger and He's willing to take it all and He puts it on Jesus who died to forgive that and whose blood will cover it and He will take that sin and hurt and pain and guilt and let you start again on that plan, that path of blessing. Ruffin's going to be right outside door number two, he and Melissa. And if you need to make a decision, if you need to give your life to Christ, if you need to just give your pain and your bitterness to Christ, would you do that today? I'm going to invite you, just as we pray, as we're praying right here, I'm going to ask you to just step right out. Just follow Brother Ruffin out that door as we're praying. And, uh, and we're going to close our ceremony with, with this particular prayer. And it's the, the same prayer that we opened it with in song. But I want to pray it for you the way or hopefully something like it would have sounded the very first time it was ever spoken over God's people. So if you bow your heads with me. Yivarechacha Adonai uyishmarecha Ya'ar Adonai panavalecha uyechunecha Yasa Adonai Panavalecha Uyasim Lecha Shalom. May God bless you and keep you this week and make his face to shine upon you.